You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always shortly will be my friend Frank Madden, the founder of brewhoop.com. Frank will be along in a little bit for the mailbag that we recorded last night. And we're going to get into, I mean, there's a whole bunch of questions. Again, appreciate all of you guys hitting us up with questions tweeting those over to us so that we could, you know, kind of answer some of those questions and hopefully give you a better idea of what it was that you were actually wondering about this team. So thank you again for sending those. But before we do that, uh, the start of our mailbag has Jabari Parker questions, and there's a ton of them. And the reason why I wanted to put something here at the start of this is because uh, Jabari Parker had uh, media availability today at the practice center. Uh, I was there for it, and he said some things that I think probably surprised some people. And I guess let's... we don't typically do this, but uh, just to make sure and not make you go somewhere else for it, uh, here is the entirety of the Jabari Parker media availability. I apologize for the times that when someone's asking a question, it gets a little bit quieter, um, but that's just going to be how it is, obviously, uh, microphone by Jabari Parker's face and not uh, by the other reporters around him. So here is Jabari Parker's media availability in full. Uh, what do you do? I mean, how do you stay stay in that right mindset when the rules are low in session? Stay positive. It's easy to get the zoom. It's easy to have the same mindset as them, but I can't. I gotta be bigger than them. Frustrated? No, it ain't. Because I see the bigger picture. I know in the past you said you were comfortable with, you know, knowing that you'd be coming off the bench between the six and three minute mark in the first quarter. You get that first quarter at the start of the second. Are you still comfortable with that role? Is that still where you see yourself heading into game three? Uh, whatever they want to do. Whatever they want to do. Hopefully it's to win. From your perspective, what does Mike Chad do to put the series around? Uh, I don't have an advantage. <laughs> Not yet, huh? Yeah. Jabari, when you say bigger picture, what do you, what do you mean there? Looking at the next step, you know, just looking at whatever I can do next, and don't, don't, don't worry about what's happening now. Just, you know, look forward. But do you think more minutes will help you get into the flow of your game? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think so. It's hard to play four minutes and sit out. You know, nobody on the team can do that. Nobody, my, especially my position. So. How do you get more minutes? Like, what do you? Um, beyond. Being my coach this side. Yeah. Whatever that is, <laughs> just try to just try to be on that good side. Do you feel you're not on that good side right now? I might not be. <laughs> I might not be. Why do you think that is? I don't know. That's out of my control. 
I mean, down the stretch, you played really well, I think. 19 points, 9 rebounds in the last six games, and all of a sudden you played 14 in the first game. Right. What do you think happened between the end of the regular season and that first playoff? Well, y'all know. Y'all not naive. Y'all watch the game. So I'll let y'all answer that. Yeah, have, have you gotten any direction uh, as to what you can do to get on the court more? Nope. I do everything that I can. What do you guys need from the bench? I mean, the bench has really uh, not produced in those first two games. What do you guys have to do? They got Morris and uh, yeah. Monroe coming off and playing big roles. Yeah. Well, for myself, I just try to be a good teammate. Um, not getting what I want right now, but it's it a bigger picture. And I think that I, I did a better job the second game. And just to touch and harp on the first game, like I'm human, right? Like I did, I deserve to be out there. I earned it six games and to see that like I'm not going to handle it well I have feelings right like I've been waiting two years I've been waiting all, all that time and to see myself get get cut short no one's going to handle that the right way so I just felt like you know I was cut short I wasn't supported and I'm not going to react the right way that's I'm human I was wrong but going forward I'll just try to be a better person a better man and be would be there for my teammates. In game two, you thought you had a different, oh, different definitely, approach. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Bigger approach, had a better approach, you know. I learned from my mistakes, and I was moving forward. How Those important is your teammates, are... how important are your teammates helping you to pick you up and get to where you, where you want to be? Well, I just, I just say I do my job, you know. I just try to help them out. If those more, if those minutes are going to be more limited, Jabari, how do you try to make an impact in those those limited minutes? Just play hard. Yeah, just play hard. Just try to be a good role player. You know, um, that's all I can ask for. All right. So obviously, why I wanted to play that in its entirety is because I didn't want you to hear me say something that Jabari said. I wanted you to to hear all of it. And I think the stuff that obviously gets highlighted with Jabari Parker in that conversation is him mentioning that it's tough for him to, you know, only play four minutes and then sit out. Nobody can do that, especially in my position. Um, I, I thought that one was a big one. And then obviously his longer uh, monologue in the middle there where he mentions uh, just how he he deserves to be out there and he felt like he had earned it. He'd been waiting two years for it. And then he didn't kind of get that payoff. And I think there's a couple different ways to view this. The first one is is the one that I think I had initially, which was surprise. I, I was surprised that Jabari was saying this because throughout this season, throughout his time back, both Matt Velasquez and I have asked regularly about starting, about um, the number of minutes that he gets, about his role on the team. We've asked about that uh, regularly, and Jabari, for the most part, I don't, I don't ever think that he was particularly happy about coming off the bench. I don't think he ever really thought that that was kind of the role that he deserved. But throughout this time, he had been saying, I, I think you would say the right things, what, what the right things are. That, you know, I'm just trying to be a part of the team. I'm trying to get better. Um, I'm just trying to go out there and fulfill my role. And it, it, to me, it was surprising that with his team down 2-0 and less uh, excuse me just about 24 hours leading up to game three that this would be the time that he would say 
all of those things. That again, I I think there's probably a good chance that he's been feeling these things for a while, but up until this point, he'd been saying the right things. And then, I mean, we always talk about distractions in pro sports and whether or not they mean anything. And and I think a lot of the times it can be overblown, right? Like it, a bunch of stuff isn't distractions, but to me, this is pretty significant. Like before you start game three, you have one of your major players. And again, I know he hasn't played a lot this series, but we all know the the standing that Jabari Parker has kind of with this team and how people view this team. You have him come out and say that he wants more minutes and he's not happy about uh, how little he's playing and he's not sure how to get more minutes other than be on the coach's good side. And he feels that he isn't on the coach's good side right now. Uh, so I... I I had surprise. I didn't think this would be, I thought maybe this was something that would come out after the season, that this would be when he, I mean, like you could do a player's tribune piece, like something else. I thought that would wait until after the season. So one was surprise. Um, and then two, I never get angry at athletes for being honest. Like if you, if you, if this is really how you feel, I'm more than happy to allow you to say the things that you want to say, to get the stuff off your chest that you want to get off your chest, and uh, to write a story about it, to talk about it on this podcast. Like that makes that makes my life as a reporter and a journalist and a podcaster easier. But at the same time, I, I'm just I'm I'm confused because I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that there's a couple ways for him to get more minutes. Um, and I would assume the, the coaching staff has relayed those messages to him that, Hey, maybe look like you care out on the floor. Maybe look like you actually want to be out on the floor. Uh, to me, uh, obviously you're going to hear me kind of rant about that, uh, in the next part of the podcast, uh, once we get to the mailbag, you'll get to hear a little bit of that. And obviously that's no different than kind of what I shared last week. Um, but it, it was just the, the disconnect between his words today, which again, I thought were exceedingly human that were him being totally honest and candid and his actions on the floor. Like those two things just don't match up. Like there very well might be a lot of frustration and you may, you may not know exactly what your role is, but no one's role on the team is to mope on the floor. No one's role on the team is to not hustle is no one's role is to go out there and not give good effort. Like that's, that's not anyone's role, whether or not you're, you're a hundred percent sure exactly where you're getting your shots, how you should be uh, playing, what exactly is expected of you. No one would expect or, or ask you to be uh, to go out there and not give effort. So uh, I, I just really struggled with it because then as we, we talk through a number of these things, Jabari Parker went early-ish in the media availability. We got a chance to talk to Joe Prunty. We got a chance to talk to uh, Giannis Adetokounmpo. And I guess I want to play one segment from Giannis. Um, it'll be shorter, but... I still think almost as telling as what Jabari said. Jabari told us he was frustrated with his playing time and lack of playing time and in the first game especially. How, how can you guys as teammates help him uh, through that? Uh, 
first we gotta talk to him as I said uh, make him know that we need him we gotta stay into the game we gotta stay focused uh, no matter what's going on you gotta stay locked in and uh, do whatever it takes to help the team uh, how many minutes played in the first game? 14 I don't remember that I remember we lost that's what I remember you know what I'm saying so that's what we have to do it's not about playing time it's not about minutes it's not about nothing in the place about just winning you know coming back here home protecting our home hopefully we can get this first one then they'll work uh, for the second one and then go back there that's what it's all about do you see that frustration from him though <coughs> definitely a lot of a lot of people a lot of people were frustrated with a lot of things you know but as i said these the players like we don't have time we don't uh i guess say margin uh, or margin for error it's not that big you know like we don't have time for that you know we have to you gotta show up as a team and get this W. I'm for I'm for it. I'm supposed to shoot the ball more. You know what I'm saying? But I care about winning. And uh, once we're all in the same page, I think everything's gonna be a lot easier for everybody to uh, play. And to me, there you could just hear Giannis's frustration that you know I don't remember how many minutes he played. I don't remember how many minutes I played. I got. I just remember that we lost and that was the big thing to him. And it, it just felt like whether or not Jabari is being totally candid and honest. And I think maybe that he is being totally honest and candid about his role and how he feels. The timing of it is not ideal. I think all of us were expecting to go to media availability today to ask some questions about how they get better for game three. Um, ask, Jabari Parker about you know how he can improve and do stuff like that and essentially get nothing answers which which would be totally fine and expected and then just kind of move on with our days but instead there was Jabari giving us some drama here uh Eric Bledsoe was asked about the Terry Rozier stuff and again when asked about Terry Rozier he he said who and then said oh you know I'm just worried about moving on to whatever and again there's two things there where the focus isn't the game. The focus isn't getting better. The focus isn't winning. And you can just kind of hear the, the disappointment in Giannis's voice. And uh, I think generally it's, it's not something that you want as a team. Two guys that could have been the X factors in this series, Bledsoe and Parker are two guys that are creating drama in the series and distracting from the series and distracting from uh, being able to go out and win the game. So I just thought that was to me really interesting uh, that that would kind of, kind of go that way. Um, And then the other thing I found interesting as well is obviously Jabari started the, the media availability. And then we got to talk to some other people. We got to talk to Joe Prunty and Prunty had what I thought was a very interesting quote as well. Joe Prunty rarely, when he talks, points out an individual player. I'll ask a question about an individual player, but we don't get to hear his actual, you know, assessment of that. It'll be all, I'll ask about Thom maker. And then, well, you know, just like anyone on the team, Thom maker has to execute this and he has to do that. And, and he'll just kind of go through some of these different things that are just general assignments rather than actually talking about that person. And he sort of did that, but then he talked about how the bucks have really struggled in their first rotation 
with the bench. The first time they go and make a substitution, they've really struggled with it. In game one, it was a 13-0 run. And again, in game two, uh, they took an 11-point lead at the end. And then he said, we have to be ready when we step on the floor. A guy like Jabari, when he comes into the game, be ready to defend, be ready to rebound, know the schemes, know the systems, know your assignments. Who are you involved with in a coverage? Is it a pick and roll? Is it a DHO? Again, Everybody has to help on the boards. That's not just him, but we're giving them multiple opportunities to get points and they're cashing in on it because we're not securing those boards. There are a lot of things he can do to help us. And to me, again, you're looking at a list of things that surely the coaching staff has told him. These are ways to impress us, to execute, to maintain getting minutes on the floor. And again, you're seeing a lot of those things Jabari has struggled with, uh, especially in this series. He has struggled with all of those things. Um, so I, I don't know, just I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the interesting media availability today and kind of where the Bucks are, because I think it's very important in trying to attempt to figure out what's going to happen in game three tonight. I think there's a good chance that it goes poorly for the Bucks, And this is a series, obviously, like I said, I predicted the Bucks in six. I thought they'd win some games. I think game three is maybe the most winnable game. I think Vegas agrees. Vegas might have them. I think it has the Bucks like a five and a half point, six point favorite. Um, so this is a game I think people expect them to win, but I think it's hard to expect the Bucks to win when there's so much dissension drama i'm not really sure exactly what to call it but there's so much other stuff going on that i think you could see this team lose in game three and it's just you've thought about this team the entire year obviously we've talked about how um how little cohesion there is in the offensive and defensive game plans and kind of how it all works together. We've talked about his turn, your turn, my turn on offense, and you can kind of just see, you could always see the seams getting kind of pulled at, but never truly ripped apart. And I do wonder if now we've seen it get ripped apart, but um, we'll, we'll go to the mailbag. Uh, You'll get to hear Frank's voice in a little bit, which I'm sure will be nice. Um, But just wanted to hop in and say a little bit about kind of what happened today and give you some of that audio and kind of let you hear all of that. So without further ado, it is mailbag time. Frank, take it away. Let's move into some of these Jabari questions. Um, and I don't think we're going to have any good answers for a lot of these. Uh, Shane Moyer at Do you want to ask Moyer, all of them at the same time? May, maybe we just go through them all and then we just sort of like, you know, freestyle and, yeah. and, and trying to not depress ourselves. Shane Moyer at SM Moyer 25 asks, or what are you doing with Jabari this summer considering his much scrutinized playoff performance thus far? Any chance of a sign and trade package with the salary dump? Uh, Alan Pan 3 at Alan Pan uh, asks, do you think Jabari's disengagement on court would be due to his two devastating injuries? Wouldn't otherwise understand why he doesn't try as hard. Maybe he's really f- afraid of playing loosely now offensively. JC Hauser asks, is Jabari's fate to be the next Michael Beasley? Uh, high draft pick who has to get his head right before he can develop into above average sixth man. Does this mean Michael Beasley will eventually be loved and have amazing animated, or Jabari will be loved and have amazing animated gifts in like five years? If so, I, I might actually sign up for that. Uh, ben Sewell at Pencil2292 asks, Worst number two pick of the draft, Jabari, Evan Turner, Derek Williams, Michael Beasley, MKG, question mark. Uh, Cash Tenenbaum, excellent uh, screen name, uh, asks, 
Would you rather have Bari? This this is this is like I think uh, Cash formulated this question purely to depress me. But here's the question: Would you rather have Jabari with Evan Turner's current contract or Evan Turner on the Bucks? That's honestly a question exact only for you, only for you. Wow, wow. Um, Muppet Babies thirty one at the Spangover. Love the name Muppet Babies. Um, I. I uh, I do get uh, he's in my mentions, you know, semi regularly, and I have to say, every time I see Muppet Babies uh, show up, I uh, I really enjoy it. Um, I'm not going to sing the Muppet Babies theme song, but sometimes I do like to sing it just uh, just for myself, you know. Um, <laughs> what is the potential of a sign and trade with Jabari to get some sort of compensation this summer? What price would you resign him at, if any? Uh, Nolan Murphy asks, who would you rather see on the team next year, Bledsoe or Jabari? I'll hang up and, <laughs> and listen. Good uh, uh, t- sports radio uh, uh, <laughs> reference there. And Jeff Smith asks, uh, do either of you think a Bucks lineup with Jabari at center versus Celtics bench units that play Monroe or Baines at center would be effective? Um, where do you want to start with all that, Eric? Okay, let's start with um, any question that has to ask me about do I think blank thing with Jabari Parker could be effective in this series? No. It's so sad. Until he shows the smallest little bit of giving a crap. No. Yeah. Like, I don't. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, why are people piling on Jabari Parker? Like, why aren't you piling on Jabari Parker? That's (laughs) that's my real question. Like, I don't I don't pile on people uh, because I don't like their shot selection or I don't like. how often they pass the ball to Giannis. Like those aren't things that I tend to really freak out about. I tend to freak out about whether or not you give a crap in the, in your first playoff series, like whether or not you try to get down the floor to stop Al Horford on a fast break, but actually let him pass you. I care about those things. Like if you, if you don't want me to pile on him for those things, what do you, what am I allowed to pile on someone for? Like what, uh, how are you viewing it? Like, that's a totally cool thing. Like that, this is the thing that I've struggled with this entire series is all the questions about, uh, what's wrong with Jabari or, uh, how can Jabari be more effective? I'll start with, well, should he start or should he play for this person? What? should he get more playing time? Why aren't you asking the question? Why doesn't Jabari Parker give a crap? Like, I think I just don't get it. Like every, all of the Jabari questions seem to have some sort of out for him, uh, some sort of excuse, some sort of reason that he's not going right. Like it's him. It's all him. Like, I, until he answers some questions for all of us, like there should be no questions about whether or not Jabari Parker should be playing more. Yeah. Okay. I agree. I have, I have nothing to add. Um, Going forward with that, uh, let's talk sign-in trades. Uh, how does that work? Can I add people to a sign-in trade on the Bucks side? Um, just go through the parameters of a sign-in trade for me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think there was some talk about like whether a sign-in trade would have to be like a one-for-one type thing, and I, I think the from the best I understand, I don't think that's the case. Um, really, the big problem with a sign-in trade is that um, if the teams are over the cap. Um, there's this thing called base year compensation, which, to be honest, I, I you know, I could have sworn when I, I remember originally thinking, you know, hearing something to, suggesting that that was no longer going to be 
as much of an issue um, with the new CBA. And basically what base your compensation does is when you sign, um, like rookies who sign new deals that involve big raises, um, basically it makes um, in the first year after them, or, or I think it's like when uh, before the, maybe it's before the extension kicks in actually. Um, but basically it just makes it harder to trade those guys because um, the amount that they count going out is different from the amount uh, they count uh, for the team that's acquiring them. So, I, and this actually apparently also is the case with uh, sign and trade. So, I think from my understanding, and I, I haven't looked a lot into it, but it's pretty damn significant. Which is that um, if the Bucks were to sign and trade Jabari Parker, I believe, like if you know, for, and again, like this is an, a, a, a extreme example, but like if if a team was willing to pay him like eighteen million dollars a year and and actually give up something for him, right? Which right now seems ridiculous, but let's just say it's the case. Um, I believe the way it would work is that he would count as fifty percent in terms of the Bucks trade going out, but he would count as eighteen million for the team acquiring him. And so the problem with something like that is that. Um, you know, when you're over the over the cap, uh, you you know you have these rules about the max that you can um, bring in on a trade, and it's usually like you know a percentage above um, the amount that you send out. And so the the problem basically is that it's harder to match salaries if the guy accounts differently for the team that's acquiring him versus the team that's trading him. And so you know, even if you were to trade him for you know. Um, and, and I know some of us have talked about like Dante Exum, right? Like my, and I haven't, I haven't tried to like check this on a trade checker, but like from my understanding is that like if you, if let's just say that both the Jazz and, and Bucks decide like, hey, we'd rather um, trade Jabari Parker for Dante Exum, right? Um, you know, Mormon superstar, uh, the Storm and Mormon Jabari Parker goes to Utah. Yep. Dante Exum uh, comes to Milwaukee. Like let's say both teams are willing to pay the other guy twelve million bucks a year. I don't believe the Bucks could actually trade um and i'd have to double check this but i don't think the bucks could actually make that trade one for one even though they're making the same amount of money i'd have to confirm that i'd have to check with the just the trade percentage but bottom line it's just like harder to do trades like that yep. um because both teams are project to be over the cap and so you could say well trade him to a team that's below the cap but then it's like well they if they have enough money to sign him outright why don't they just give him an offer sheet and dare the bucks to match it right yep so it's just a really complicated thing to do a sign and trade. And so to me, I've kind of like my view has been like, man, that's like your last hope of really salvaging value from from Jabari short of obviously like signing him and trying to bring him back and play him. Um, now, if you sign and bring him back and play him, then um, obviously you can trade him down the road more easily. Um, but again, like then you have to go through the awkwardness of like, well, if you give Jabari Parker, you know, no money, then that's a bad situation in terms of is he going to be like totally miserable or whatever, right? I mean, he's been a total, you know, well, I don't, I don't even know what to call him right now, but you know, his my head has been so wrong right now. If he feels like he gets screwed in free agency this summer, like is that really going to be any better coming back? So it's a really difficult situation, um, and and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of at the point now where um, I'm sort of over. Uh, feeling bad if the Bucks would, you know, just let him walk, basically, yeah. um, because also, I mean, the qualifying offers, qualifying offer, I think is like four million and change. Um, if you bring it back on the qualifying offer, uh, he actually has a no trade because he won't have bird rights uh, if he goes to a new team. So he also has has way less value to a team that might acquire him because they wouldn't have bird rights to resign him uh, in 2019. So 
it's just you know again like just a really difficult spot and um I don't know what the outcome is, and I'm I'd be fascinated to be a fly on the wall in the Bucks offices to know how they're appraising Jabari's value right now. Because again, like you know, um, just letting him walk obviously is going to open them up to a ton of criticism. Even though, let's be honest, that that might be the best outcome at this point. Yeah, someone asked. Uh, looks like uh, the Spangover asked, "What price?" You're saying Muppet Babies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Say it. Muppet Babies 31. Muppet Babies 31 (laughs) asked, what price would you resign them at, if any? And I mean, I was, I'm trying to think the last time we had this conversation, I think I said I was cool with like a a two plus team option to get to a three for 54. Um, And I think my numbers dropped significantly from that point. Like, yeah, I, I used to be there and think like, okay, maybe something could work out, but as I've, as I think through all of this, like Jabari Parker has to ask himself a lot of questions here. Like any, anything, any, the only way for me to feel more comfortable about Jabari Parker is talking to Jabari Parker and figuring out where his head's at, because I just think he needs to understand where he is in the league right now. Like you're not a number two overall pick anymore. That's not you. You're not that guy anymore. You are, to most teams, a nice six man right now, um, probably a, a starter on a number of teams. And you have to understand that I don't know if there's many teams out there that are going to make Jabari Parker a number one option. I, I don't know if there's a team out there no. as, as I think through it. And then you got to go down to number two options. How many teams would say Jabari Parker is a number two option on their team? Ten? And then even on some teams, you might not even be the number three option. Like currently the Milwaukee Bucks team that you're on, you're the number four option. And we, we talk about whether or not the Bucks talent is all that good. Like I think Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe are both better than Jabari Parker right now. And I think that's Mal- the, Malcolm Brogdon would like to have a word as well. Fifth best player in the Bucks right now. So he needs to well, have he's like, he's like the 15th right now, but yes, like, Yes, in 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 a like world where his brain is right and Correct. makes progress and sort of becomes a better version of himself. But that's it, but that's it, the it, big it's thing. Not a, yeah, it's not like a lock that he's better than the fifth best player on the Bucks by any stretch. But that's the big thing is you what you just said there. Like mentally, where is he going to be at? Like if I'm another team, I need to have a hundred percent confidence. And this is the one thing I find interesting is in the interview he did with uh, Bill Michaels and Sparky the other week and Steve Novak, he mentioned that, you know, I just want people to be honest with me. Like, that's really big with me. You want, uh, I really want people to be honest with me and I want to feel like we're, we're having that, uh, that ability to be honest with each other. And it's like, Uh Oh, are we getting a truth bomb from Eric name here? It's like Eric name bringing the truth to Jabari Parker. I don't think he wants that, right? Like, <laughs> no, I don't think he does. Like, I think he wants honesty if that version of honesty is telling him that he's the second best player on the team or a number one option and worth a max contract. I think he likes that type of honesty. But if he wants real honesty about how he's proven nothing defensively, offensively, there's still question marks. Like, if he wants that honesty, then that's great. Then going forward... I think everything will be solved because then that means mentally he'll be right. He'll understand exactly what a team's expecting of him and everything will go forward from there. If I'm guessing and I'm feeling out this situation, right? I don't think he wants that. 
I don't think he's looking forward to the honesty that might come from this summer. So to me, uh, any question about Jabari Parker, I would need to be inside the head of Jabari Parker because any question about his value is totally dependent on him and how he views his career going forward. Man, this this is a depressing topic. Um, It is. Yeah, I mean, I I just keep coming back to, I mean, Jabari said it best during that, I think it was the media availability he had after that interview on the radio where he said you know they'll they'll be fine without me like where he was talking in the third maybe i don't know maybe it was, it was before after. that but no, was after. um but like he just sort of said like hey i've seen them play and and you know they'll be fine with or without me and he's right i mean the bucks will be fine without jabari i mean yep. we, they have been right i mean they haven't been great but like it's not like J- the absence of jabari is the reason why the bucks have not you know been as good as they could be right i mean obviously um at this point Jabari, <laughs> in this series you could argue the opposite yeah, right like yeah, him being yeah. around has made them worse yeah and and obviously you know again we need to differentiate between this sort of compromised version of jabari and what yep. maybe you know what you can expect maybe going forward but but there's no um, guarantee that version goes away yeah well and that's the thing this may be this may be the series where um jabari crosses over from the guy that sort of like you know this may be the emperor has no clothes moment for jabari um, yeah. where we go from like the quote unquote consensus being like, Oh, Jabari. I mean, he's super talented, 20 point per game score. I mean, second overall pick. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's got to start. I mean, right. Right. <laughs> and this may be where, you know, and, and Hey, Brandon Jennings had to, has, is, is on the business end of, 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 of this process. Michael yeah. Beasley went through this process. Derek Williams went through this process. Um, at some point, you know, you have to make it on your what you are as a basketball player, not on what you might be, not on what, you know, the wishful thinking of the GM and, you know, organization that drafted you. Um, and obviously, like right now, I think Jabari is like expecting that, you know, he'll just basically be a charity case until, you know, and, and again, I don't think Jabari realizes like how negative he has been in the past, even when he has put up numbers. I don't think... He realizes how much he hurts the team now. Um, like I, I said, think there's, kind of there, he doesn't want he doesn't want honesty. No, he doesn't want he doesn't want to believe that, right? Um, so so it's tough. And uh, I mean, just to kind of knock out some of these other questions. Um, you know, Nolan's question about who would you rather see on the team next year, Bledsoe or Jabari? Um, I mean, Bledsoe. If I want to win games, I Bledsoe. mean, Bledsoe yeah. actually helps you win games. Jabari doesn't. Now, if you told me that. I could trade Bledsoe for, you know, some package that gets me a good player or an asset and Jabari, you know, I bring him back just because I can't get anything for him. Maybe there are worlds in which, you know, that gets you in a better place and, you know, you could gamble on Jabari and maybe he does figure some things out or maybe he embraces being a six man at some point. But again, usually the guys don't embrace that, you know, usually guys don't cross over into that sort of, um, lesser category of their career, or, you know, disappointing sort of like, is this really what I've become phase until they switch teams, right? Like yep. it's hard to go from being like that second overall pick, I'm going to be a star to shit, I'm a sixth man or, you know, crap, I'm a seventh man or whatever, or I'm a matchup guy. Like guys usually have to hits, go through some tough periods to, to yep. kind of get there. Um, you know, J- Jennings being kind of the obvious, you know, guy, right? He had to sort of, get his 
you know, go through injuries and um, and disappointment and falling out of the league before he came back to the Bucks. And now he, I don't think he cares that he's not playing, you know, because uh, I don't think he realizes how bad he is. But um, he certainly realizes that he doesn't have any guarantees. And I think Jabari has not come through, gone through that process yet. Um, worst number two pick in the draft? Derek Williams. Yeah. Between it's yeah. between Jabari, Evan Turner, Derek Williams, Michael Beasley, and MKG. I think all those guys. Beasley had that year in Minnesota where he is averaging a bunch of points. MKG, I think, is certainly disappointing that his shooting never got figured out, but he's valuable-ish at times. Um, he's had moments. Evan Turner obviously has had moments. Jabari, I mean, even with the injuries, there's still been a time where he's averaged 20 points per game. Um, Derek Williams never had that. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Evan Turner is the guy I would least want just because he has a horrible contract and the other guys yeah. have all like, well, and MKG makes some money, but he's he's not in, in the Turner category. Um, so, yeah, um, as far as would you rather have Barry with Evan Turner's contract or Evan Turner on the box? Jesus Christ, this is so depressing. Uh well, I think Evan Turner only has two years left on his seven million dollar yeah. contract, so I guess that means I have to take Evan Turner yeah. um, and uh, and not uh, not Jabari being owed seventy million moving forward. So that's 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 just sad. By the way, I'm watching the end of the Rockets game. Shout out to the Rockets. Shout out to my uh, wife who is a Rockets fan. Um, Gerald Green is just chucking up a bunch of shots, but it's kind of funny. It just reminds me, you know, in the context of good teams or you know, good coaches, good teams yep. uh, are where role players look good you know jesus christ gerald green exhibit a i mean he's a guy who has obviously just found his his uh found his way in in houston after you know sitting on the bench sitting on, not even on the bench sitting on his couch for like two months including uh after the bucks released him and um you know he's not the only role player on uh on that rocket scene whether it's pj whether it's luke bamute who by the way shout out to luke hopefully he uh he gets uh his shoulder right soon because i'd love to see him do well for the Rockets in the playoffs, but um, I mean, another and, good and it's happened a couple times in his career, right? Like he's had, he had moments with Boston as like a solidish role player. Like get get a role player with a good coach, and you're probably going to think a lot higher higher of that person. Yeah. Um, by the way, this question from JC about like is Jabari's fate to be the next Michael Beasley high draft pick who has to get his head right before he can develop into an above average six man? Um, it's an interesting question. I think Jabari's going to have one more chance. I mean, again, like I think yeah. now. I think we're kind of in like the self-fulfilling prophecy stage of Jabari being elsewhere, most likely next year. Um, and I think it is so important that he go to a place where he. And again, I don't even. And again, it's it's sort of hard. It's like I, I mean, for him as a basketball player, it's probably best that he goes to a place with good coaching where maybe he's not going to be coddled and he is more of a six man maybe, or you know, not a uh, a guy who's treated as like a future star. Um, or on the flip side, you know, maybe he goes to like a place like Sacramento where they can like still force feed him a lot of shots because, you know, they're not winning and it, there's no real pressure and they just still want to, you know, dream that he's going to be kind of what, you know, he was supposed to be a few years ago. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious which of those he would take, right? Um, I'm sure he I would just I take, know. I'm sure he would just take wherever he gets paid the most. Um, but, uh, I, I think he has one more chance most likely to sort of s you know kind of reestablish himself and and maybe get those good habits um and and kind of re reestablish himself 
Um, but again, like if, if you don't do it in that next stop, I mean, you're just not, you know, again, like once the sheen of, of being what that future star is gone, um, you know, go ask Beasley, go ask Derek Williams, go ask these guys, like nobody else is going to come and just sort of hand you those opportunities. And, um, you know, Beasley has, Beasley has carved out a nice little, you know, niche the last couple of years with the Bucks and Knicks this year, obviously the Knicks sucked, but you know, that was obviously not really Beasley's fault. Um, but you know, as kind of a get buckets guy, um, that's worked. And I think also, I don't know, I mean, Beasley's personality, like Beasley's just so chill. Like, I don't think Michael Beasley ever like necessarily needed to be a superstar. Um, I don't, I don't really know what Jabari's mindset is like that. I don't, I know he's not Michael Beasley. Um, I don't think he's also like, I don't think, I don't, I honestly don't think Jabari is a huge ego guy. I think he's, I think his ego is hurt by, I mean, I don't, again, I don't think Jabari would, I think Jabari would be happy to be a second, second fiddle. I don't think he's happy to be a guy who doesn't play in the playoffs though. Right. Like, I think it's, I don't, I would not conflate, you know, um, oh, he he's 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 pissed off that he's barely playing in the playoffs. He he wants to be the number one guy. Well, th- there's like you know 14 spots <laughs> between, yeah. between those two things. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I think next year, the next two years, um, I think are going to say a lot about where Jabari Parker ends up. And and I at this point, I have no idea what the trajectory of that's going to be, or or if it's going to be in Milwaukee. Any other final Jabari Parker thoughts or? Um, can we move on to things that are less depressing? Let's move on. Okay. Um, and again, maybe this isn't uh, a whole lot uh, less depressing. Um, but I've got questions um, that are organizational and coaching related, which are kind of kind of related. Um, I'll put uh, I'll put let, let's let's just go with the coaching ones first. Um, actually, no, let's go with the organization ones first because uh, we talk a lot, we've talked a bit about the coach. Everybody always talks about the coach, but it's all related. Um, so Ethan Douglas asks, um, do you think the Bucks will completely clean house or just hire a new coach this offseason? Um, I'm not sure if Ethan's referring to like roster house cleaning or front office house cleaning um, with the, I the house cleaning. I assume front office. Okay. Um, uh, what do you think? I think this is probably a, a very easy question to answer in terms of what will happen. They're going to hire a new coach this off season. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, I I just don't foresee the Bucks doing uh, again. I, I did. I don't see a world in which they were to you know get a new GM or whatever. Right. I mean, nope. literally the the kind of rest of you know John Horst uh, obviously is is just a year in and the Bucks you know, made such a spectacle of themselves and how a horse came into power mm-hmm. and then sort of had to play the card of, Oh no, we're not dysfunctional. And you know, this, we were really happy that we got to John and process doesn't matter. The, the results of John horse getting yep. to be the GM is great. Um, to come back a year later and say like, Oh, actually that was bullshit. You know, we screwed up. Um, again, like we may look back and say they should have done that, you know, if two years from now, Giannis leaves or Giannis says he's not shining an extension and the Bucks are, you know, still a 38 win team or something like that, then I'm sure we'll look back and say, yep, they screwed that up and they should have cleaned house, you know, that, that as soon as possible. But I just don't think that's going to happen. So I would agree with you. It's going to be a new coach. John Horst will get a chance to hire his coach and, um, it's going to be, you know, the, uh, the, again, I, the biggest coaching hire in Milwaukee Bucks history. Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say like, frame that question a different way if you really want an answer would ownership ad- admit after a year that they've made a mistake no no 
<laughs> I think it's it's pretty obviously no. Yeah. E Conniption asks, I know rule number one is never trust the Bucks. Very well done, by the way. Uh, does that extend to the ownership group in basketball operations or just the coaches and players? I think it extends to ownership and uh, basketball operations. Uh, I think obviously Frank, you just brought it up. Like it was a spe- it was a spectacle last off season, right? Like how many weeks did we spend? We spent three weeks, uh, three weeks of episodes during the summer during a time where we shouldn't have anything to talk about. Talking about. I mean, essentially palace intrigue, right? Like we're breaking yep. down exactly who's deciding what, who has the governor's seat, um, who's actually making the decision, how they got to said decision. Is there any sort of rift between ownership? Uh, how do, Who likes which candidate and who decided that Justin Zanuck wasn't going to be good enough to fulfill the GM spot that everyone assumed that he was taking? Like, So, I mean, that was a mess. Um, hiring Jason Kidd, I don't think anyone would say that that was a smooth process or that that process went well. So uh, the two major... But the results of the Jason Kidd hiring. (laughs) Yeah, very good. Um, (laughs) So you look at those things like, yeah, I think there's plenty of reason to apply rule number one to the ownership group. Um, uh, Yeah, the I think it extends to the entire organization. And again, maybe in a couple of years, we find out that John Horst is a very good general manager. He's very capable. Uh, This offseason, they hire a very good coach, and he is very capable as well. The two sides begin to coexist and form a successful marriage together where personnel is getting the right players for the coaching staff, and the coaching staff is using the players that the personnel side grab for them uh, in smart, in innovative ways like that could all very well happen in a couple of years but at this moment i think you're you're well within your rights to question uh whether or not they know what they're doing yeah and i would say it doesn't extend to i would say the business side i think that's obviously the the very obvious area yeah. where the ownership group is you know a they you know ensured the existence of the franchise in milwaukee by getting the arena deal done um this stupid you know, podcast have, exists because they did that yeah um man God damn it! I'd have so much more free time if they had moved to Seattle. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, obviously, I think what they've done—whether it's the arena, um, whether it's sort of the remaking of the franchise, the organization—you know—I mean, if you go visit the Bucks offices uh, now compared to you know yep. four or five years ago, I mean, it's just a night and day. I mean, there's many more people, um, and things have just changed you know dramatically inside this organization it has been modernized it's gone from you know more of a mom and pop type feel to you know a a company that a real like big company you know like a billion dollar company which you know again the uh, valuation at this point would would say it should be so um oh, so the Bucks community all, foundation as well like yeah they yeah, started I mean, to do a lot more of the, that stuff like from top down absolutely right and um you know the work they're doing to build uh, around the new uh, arena um, and revitalize, you know, everything that was just, you know, pretty much dead. I mean, it was, yep. you know, basically an open lot for however long uh, in downtown Milwaukee. I mean, all that is being built up with not just the arena. You have the new practice center, um, you know, again, and, and a lot of people talk obviously about like, well, you know, taxpayer dollars and all that. But I mean, there's a ton of stuff going in there that doesn't have anything to do with tax tax dollars, right? I mean, um, the development stuff is is all privately funded, and so in the arena, uh, the practice gym was all privately funded. So, you know, again, I mean, look, 
the bottom line is that the franchise, you know, we can we can obviously raise questions about, you know, is the basketball operations, uh, is the basketball team where we want it to be? Um, and certainly there's big questions there. But, um, you know, they have a chance, right? With Giannis, they have a chance still to get this right. They, they have the hardest part of the equation of being a very good NBA basketball team with Giannis solved. Um, and they have all the kind of off-court stuff uh, lined up very well. And, and now, obviously, it's like, well, show us, right? Show yep. us that you can go out and, and figure this out and, and turn it into something that, you know, right now, uh, obviously, they, it's not sort of trending in the direction of, uh, of you know, true contention. A um, couple of questions kind of related to that. So um, Jeremy uh, asked mailbag question of the following three things which is the biggest contributor to the bucks lack of success front office dysfunction coaching dysfunction or ownership dysfunction i mean it's kind of interesting i mean we'll find out probably pretty soon we'll find out next year if a new coaching staff can turn this into like a 50 win team then very easily you can say well it was just the coaching right i think i think the thing that we have known for sure is that you know the longest is that you know the coaching staff, Jason Kidd, in particular, were not setting this team up for long-term success. Yep. And other parts of the equation, front office ownership, obviously contributed to some of those issues because you know the chain of command goes through ownership first, and then the GM, and then the coach is sort of on the bottom of that. So it's hard to say that you know again, like there's no culpability kind of moving up if a team sort of underachieves. But um, now that this coach is finally gone. Um, if, you know, obviously the front office, obviously ownership would say, Hey, you know, we're going to get the coaching decision, right. And that's going to set us up. Okay. You know, if, if a great coach is hired again, if, if the, everything, even if things turn around, if they win six, seven more games next year and cross the 50 win plateau, then that shine is going to make everybody look a lot better. And so I think again, like we can, I don't think we need to trust that that's like automatically going to happen, but, um, I, th- I think that's going to be kind of the, the best litmus test of where this function is. And, and certainly there's evidence, obviously, between, you know, during the horse saga, the, you know, ownership. Um, I mean, if your owner, if your one owner, like, refuses to hire the guy that the other two principal owners want to hire, that's a form of dysfunction. You yep. know, like, that's, you know, the everybody was laughing at the Bucks last summer. And so far, you know, until John Horse proves that he's a good GM, like, there's going to be skepticism about you know uh, him due to how he got the job. Um, so anyway, it's uh, it's kind of all I think to be proven at this point, and I think we'll we'll know pretty soon. Um, you know, within the next year, we'll have a good sense of you know whether uh, everyone should be condemned or or whether it was more of a localized problem with the coaching staff. Any anything else on that you'd add to? I mean, I think you said it right. It starts at the top, right? Uh, ownership enabled a coach. Um, that was not good for the franchise that actively, I think, made things difficult for the front office and ownership. Yeah, that's good. Sure. Yeah, that's um, actually true. The, so, the conflict between Kidd and the front office, you know, did not also make the, the front office's job easier. Correct. Uh, so the front office, I, I think I'm, I'm generally not all that concerned with like i i i understand why it, you would be obviously dj wilson has not panned out and uh you have some concerns about are they thinking about the future or not but i think there's enough creative things that have been done in the front office so you look at uh how they use like the two-way guys and stuff like that like i think there's enough there that i'm i'm willing to 
hold off on my skepticism at, at the moment. Um, certainly, uh, that could come back in a moment's notice. But uh, for now, I, I don't. I don't think much of front office dysfunction, um, coaching dysfunction. It, it's kind of what I said a couple weeks ago. Like they're going to get a new coach. Um, let me let me tell you then. Um, but I, I think the reason I go to the top is all of this works. Um, the best franchises work because there is synergy between all parts and how the, that occurs is very clear, very clearly defined structure and very clearly defined hierarchy. And there's no, there's no coaching staff that's saying, I need this guy. Um, there's no coaching staff. Uh, Jason Kidd isn't trying to trade Greg Monroe for, Omer Ashik's contract, like there's none of that stuff going on, and I mean the bucks, the buck stops with somebody, right? And it stops with ownership. So if ownership wanted to cut that out, well, then you fire your coach and you you make sure everyone's on uh, the same page. So I think really this summer is a huge opportunity that if ownership takes care of, takes care of business and sets up that those clearly defined roles and exactly how all this works and the hierarchy and what you're trying to build as a larger franchise, then I think everything kind of gets fixed. But for now, I think the biggest contributor to the Bucks' lack of success, if you're only giving me those three options, would be ownership dysfunction. All right, a couple questions that were very similar. Um, Luke Grant asked, from a roster management perspective, what is the blueprint the Bucks can follow to compete with Boston and Philly in the East in the next five years? Um, and then uh, Mark Ambrose, very similarly, asked, what would you be your realistic ideal path to getting to a Boston-Philly level in the next five years? Is there even one? Um, and then uh, Carson Mitchie, Carson, uh, asked, are the Bucks stuck, Snelly, Deli, and Henson $10 million each until 2020? Besides Brogdon expiring next year, there are zero producing rookie contracts, Sterling question mark, and a first-round pick already traded away. Um, you know, it, it's a tough question, right? I mean, here's what I'll say, though. Let Think about how differently I think we would perceive this roster if the Bucks had picked, and, and again, it doesn't necessarily have to be him specifically, but well, let's pick a couple guys. So they could have drafted OG Ananobi last year. He got picked 23rd. I mean, that was with the pick the Bucks once had uh, from the Clippers that they gave up in the Grievous Vasquez trade. If the Bucks had picked OG Ananobi or, let's say, Kyle Kuzma, right? And again, I, not that um, we necessarily expected them to be as good as they've been. Not that they're either is going to be like a star player. But if you, the Bucks had drafted... Hell, John Collins, Jared Allen. John like, Collins, yeah, any of those guys. If the Bucks had drafted any of those guys, and any of those guys were... I picked the power forward specifically because if any of those guys, if any of those like kind of like combo forward guys were on the Bucks right now, and they had like this you know young, interesting combo forward guy who established himself in the first half of the season, let's say. Let's assume that they did similar stuff in Milwaukee mm-hmm. that they did in their other location, which again is a question, right? Because the whole role players and coaches and all that stuff. Um, but if they had done that instead of you know getting like 82 games of DNPs from DJ Wilson, um, how much less angst do you think there would be about Jabari Parker right now? You know? Like if Kyle Kuzma, not that Kyle Kuzma is some world beater, right? But if Kyle Kuzma was on this roster and he was, you know, became the backup four and played three with Giannis as well and Chris, um, in you know for most of the season, Jabari comes back. Like I'm betting, I'm guessing most people would just say like oh, Jabari, whatever. 
you know, yeah. like like we, we have our new shiny toy, we have our new shiny object. You know, if OG Ananobi, not nearly as sexy a player in terms of production, but can knock down a corner three, um, is a smart basketball player, very good defensively, um, fits very well into kind of a playoff rotation, you know, gives you a guy who can defend multiple positions. If you have a guy like that, I think, again, you're saying, man, I, I want that guy to play. And, well, Jabari Parker's coming back, and knee injuries, doesn't play defense, eh, yeah. I think I'm okay rolling with this new guy, right? So I think I think that's sort of one of the things, and, and kind of what I'm leading to is, I don't think the Bucks are. It's not like the Bucks are three good players away, or even one superstar away. I don't think the Bucks are, in in terms of like raw talent, like to be at least competitive with those teams. I don't think the Bucks are necessarily like multiple home runs away from doing that. I think. They need to obviously have a much better coach. We'll get into coaches in a moment, some of these other questions. Um, they need to have a coach that unlocks their full potential offensively and probably more importantly, defensively. Um, and then they need to, I think, hit in some way on this first-round pick they have this year. Uh, and that's one other reason why I was very happy to keep the pick because – Again, if that pick turns into OG Ananobi or Kyle Kuzma or whatever guy like that, you know, guy of that caliber who could be a starter, like within one or two years, could be actually a starter that you want on the court late in games. I mean, we'll all be sitting around asking, why the hell would anybody not have wanted that pick right now? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, but but again, we're used to DJ Wilson, wah wah, Thon Maker, Benny Hill music. You know, Rashad Vaughn, yakety sacks. You know, pick like your sad trombone, uh, you know, equivalent with all these Bucks draft picks. Jabari Parker, wah, wah. You know, like the Bucks have just, I mean, they've obviously, Brogdon was a great second round pick. Maybe Sterling will be. But I mean, they have just struck the F out with those first round picks. I mean, it is crazy yep. how much they've just torched these picks the last four years. And if any of those guys had hit, I think you'd feel so much better about where they were as a team, and I think that makes it all the more imperative to hit on this pick they have this coming season. So um, I think the, the you know the blueprint is you find a young guy, and most likely it has to come through the draft because again we just talked about how hard it is to you know trade Jabari Parker for anything or to go you know you can't go sign like some great young twenty two year old guy in free agency those don't exist. Um, so I, I think that's largely what it comes down to. And I, I don't know if we are as honest as we need to be about how important this pick is. But I said two years ago when they picked on Maker, I said, hopefully this is your last lottery pick for quite some time. Yep. You need this guy to be good. I, I'm not, I wasn't going to say you need him to be a star, but you need this guy to be good. You need this guy to be a core piece for you know the foreseeable future. And obviously we had high hopes of Thon, especially last spring at sort of peak Thon. Um, and now we're kind of at trough thon in terms yep. of uh, excitement, but but for me that's really the key. And then I think I think the other key piece is navigating. Um, obviously Jabari, I mean, we've talked a lot about that, but I think it's navigating the 2019 summer with Brogdon, Middleton, and Bledsoe. And again, I would be shocked if all three of those guys were back. And so I think it's pretty imperative that you figure out this year. How do you salvage value such that, you know, going to that 1920 season, you have enough talent to compete with Giannis, but you also are not just like necessarily locked into paying all those guys, you know, 
50 or 60 million dollars a year or something like that total right because yep. that that's not a good place to be and that's going to compromise your your flexibility long term so i don't know that was a rambling answer eric i've given you at least a lot of time to think about your your retort um what kind of comes to mind for you as far as how you make the bucks uh, a contender with philly and and, and boston and, you know again really difficult those teams have more assets draft wise than the bucks moving forward the gap is probably going to grow in the short term unless the Bucks really hit on something, unless the Bucks really turn some stuff around. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, for, like, if you're just looking to stack, like, asset versus asset and kind of how they stack up, like, I don't know if it is possible to get to Philly or Boston's level in the next couple of years. Like, in the next five years, I think it could be possible because, obviously, you'll you'll kind of run out of some of these crummy contracts and then, ideally, you would sign Giannis to a Supermax and you would move from there and hopefully make some right decisions in those spots. But for the next couple of years, like, I don't... Frankly, I don't know if it's possible. Like, there's been enough whiffing in the last little while that you've missed on a bunch of stuff. And the Celtics happened to uh, stumble into Billy King um, and get a, just a crazy amount of picks. And obviously, Danny Ainge has. Uh, Billy King being the, the GM of the Nets at the time of the Paul Pierce KG trade, just correct. for those non uh historians out there yep <laughs> uh but to get all the like that was the base of everything that they've done right like they make that trade with the nets and from there danny Ainge just kind of kept building assets and assets and assets um and then on top of that you pile a good coach um who's able to make those assets into something uh to usable players uh, and then you look at philly like that uh, can the Bucks find a path where they get how many lottery talents do the Sixers have? Like eight. And then a couple of the, like three or four of them have panned out. Like, no, the Bucks can't match that. Like <laughs> that, that, that is something that they just simply won't be able to match. Now, do they have talent on the roster? Yeah, they have talent on the roster. We've seen with Giannis and Middleton, um, Bledsoe has been a no-show thus far in the playoffs, but certainly he had his moments uh, during the regular season. Like, there's some talent on the Bucks roster, and as we've mentioned a bunch of times, yeah, they are capped out right now, and this isn't going to be a summer where they probably are able to make a ton of moves because of those contracts, but I, I think in the short term... I don't, I don't know how they, how they manage to do it. It's going to be difficult. Uh, once you get out of the next like two years or so, uh, then I think it becomes a little bit more possible. Uh, you're going to have to, it, it feeds into what you're saying. Like the bucks have to hit on some stuff, right? And like they, there's, there's no more whiffing like that. That can occur. Maybe you can whiff on a second rounder if you, uh, happen to buy a second rounder this year, but first rounders i don't think the bucks can whiff anymore like those those have to be hits and maybe with a new coach there's some salvaging of guys maybe dj wilson can be a role player not a starter but maybe he can be a role player with a new coach that uses him in a different way same thing for thon maker maybe there is something uh that can still be had with thon maker um so to me roster management i think starts with the coach hire the right coach and this team becomes a lot better yeah and um you know i mean there are ways that things maybe can not go perfectly in Philly uh, and Boston. You know, I mean, injury is the obvious one, right? I mean, uh, Philly's already coped with a lot of injuries. Um, you know, if Embiid has some major, I mean, as much as they've played great without him here um, to a large extent the last you know few weeks, uh, obviously that team is, is not a championship team without Embiid. And, 
so again, that's a question, right? Like what happens if Embiid can't stay healthy? Um, and you know what he plays 60 games this year or something like that. I mean, that this was like a quote unquote healthy year for him and he still missed, you know, 20 games or whatever. So, um, so health is obviously a key kind of factor here. I mean, you know, who knows what Markel Fultz is going to be. That's obviously a, a major variable. And then, uh, you know, both these teams, I mean, the downside of having young talent and, you know, growing into stuff is that suddenly all those guys then expect to be paid very well. And, um, you know, the Celtics have to figure out what Marcus Smart is worth this summer. Um, The uh, Sixers are going to have to decide at some point, obviously, what is Dario Saric worth, you know? Um, How does Dario Saric fit into that lineup? I mean, if Markel Fultz is going to start, are you starting, you know, uh, Covington at the two and, Saric and uh, and and Simmons still are you know are you playing a, a JJ Redick or a, a true shooting guard with those guys because certainly you know if you're playing Ben Simmons with Joel Embiid and a point guard who's afraid to shoot three pointers uh, that doesn't seem like an ideal way to, to to play basketball but again maybe Markel Fultz will stop being afraid of three pointers so yep. um, so anyway there's a lot of that things can kind of go wrong there as well but absolutely I mean the the onus is on the Bucks because they're the ones playing catch up right now um to to kind of figure out some some stuff and uh i don't know we'll see yeah it's all about hits and you have to have some hits and i think i think one of the big things we talked about you know do the bucks try to maybe trade a point guard to move up in the draft this year um to me that's the most interesting thing i just it just doesn't seem like in two years malcolm brogdon and and eric bledsoe are both going to be on this team right and i know bledsoe can play with uh Brogdon and, and and things like that because of Brogdon's size, but Brogdon needs to get paid. You know, we're a year from yep. Brogdon needing to get paid. What are you going to pay Malcolm Brogdon? Is he ten million a year guy? You know, um, that that's kind of what I kind of come back to is like maybe he's a ten million dollar ish a year guy. Um, that's like his maybe his market. Um, but if you're paying him ten, uh, Bledsoe, what is Eric Bledsoe going to be worth? And you know, even if you don't think Eric Bledsoe is your long-term option as a 30-year-old point guard, who, who's your backup plan, you know? <laughs> yep. Um, and you can open up cap space in 2019, but, um, and uh, Alexander Juno asked us, um, he asked us about our thoughts on Shake Milton from SMU. I have no thoughts on Shake Milton. <laughs> I'll I, get back I, to you. I have heard his name. I think he has a cool name. Um, it is and a good so, name. And I know he's like kind of a, he's kind of combo guardish guy, right? He's a point guard, yeah. um, bigger point guard maybe, so that's cool. Um, but, uh, he also asked, would like to hear your thoughts on Bucks trying to open up cap space for 2019, summer 2019. Um, that, that's tough because, first of all, Chris Middleton is going to have a $20 million cap hold. Bledsoe is going to have um, kind of a similar cap hold. So, again, like, you know, you could renounce Bledsoe, you could renounce Middleton and try to go sign some superstar. But, like, who who are you going out and spending $30 million a year on, right? You want to know like, the free agents for next summer? You can give me some. I know like Kemba's one and I think like what Kawhi can be one 2019. Um, I mean, there's some definitely some big names, but it's not like there's some like obvious like, oh, yeah, the Bucks are going to go get that guy. Right. Um, yeah, I'll just re- I'll just read a bunch of them. Uh, these would be guys that would be UFAs. Uh, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chandler Parsons, Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Paul George, possibly. Um, don't really know what will happen with him this year. Wesley Matthews, Ennis Kantner. Clay Thompson, Tobias Harris, Damari Carroll, Taj Gibson, Ricky Rubio, Robin Lopez, Thaddeus Young, Nikola Vukovic, Tyson Chandler, Jeremy Lin, Kenneth Freed, uh, Marcin Gortat, Kemba Walker, 
Zach Randolph, Austin Rivers, Wilson Chandler, Alec Burks, Terrence Ross, and I'm done. There's more, but Max out Terrence Ross. That's my answer. <laughs> like, did did anyone on that list? Did you really go, ooh, that's interesting? Clay Thompson, yeah, like Paul George. He's not coming. Uh, coming to goddamn Milwaukee, that's for sure. That's I mean, not the question I'm saying. I'm saying <laughs> people did you find where you're like, ooh, that's interesting. Like, eh, there wasn't a lot of people well, on that list. Yeah, I mean, Kemba is probably the most interesting just because I think sure. the off-the-dribble three-point shooter is the most interesting kind of guy to pair with uh, with Giannis. But, I mean, Kemba 29. will be, I think, 30, yeah, 29, 30 that year. Um, and so he's not, like, ideally. He's, he's the same age as Bledsoe. Yep. Um, and, and so, obviously, that's... You know, again, uh, and and also, what are you gonna have to pay Kemba, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're gonna have to pay him, because what he's eligible for, I think, thirty percent max that year. So, are you gonna pay Kemba thirty million dollars a year? Is that Ooh. is that the plan? Um, and if so, I don't, you know, I don't know if you can. There's probably ways you could do it, but you'd have to be really creative to keep Chris Middleton and acquire Kemba Walker, um, and and that's tough. And you're probably gonna, I mean, you're getting rid of Malcolm Brogdon most likely in that scenario yep. even though he has a very low cap hold which is of value um but again i think there's i think the next year the question is can the bucks turn one of those point guards they have who's effectively expiring into something more sustainable you know and yep. again my my dream of you know getting trey young uh in a draft night trade where you cash in you know i'll say brogdon just because he seems like a more tradable asset than bledsoe um but fingers crossed for games three through five yeah yeah exactly um all right uh you want to talk about coaching a little bit sure um first i will tease that uh next thursday i will have eric benning joining us um eric has been i mean slavishly going through coaching uh possibilities and he has a tiered list that is all ready to go um i've seen some of his notes uh he shared with me recently in a google doc um he is he has done his research so um the next time frank is out one week from today uh you will get to have some real in-depth coach talk um so i will just tease that for now but we can hit some of these questions here okay uh, do you guys think this is from Al Zafino? Do you guys think if the Bucks somehow win this series, there's any way Prunty keeps the job? <laughs> no. Next question. David Growth asks, "Who do you guys believe is the believe is the most qualified for the head coaching job next year? Do you have any any thoughts you want to put on this? Um, or or on the flip side, Kyle Burling, you can take it either way." Kyle asked, do you think the idea that's out there that the Bucks will be focusing on hiring a big-name coach is overblown? Who are some coaches on your, quote, I really hope they, they're too smart to hire blank list? Um, I don't know that it's overblown. Um, we've seen on the basketball ops side, uh, this ownership group kind of try to make some splashes. Well, I shouldn't even say it. I guess they've had two opportunities. One time they made a big splash with Jason Kidd. The other time... John Horst, I think, would be the opposite of a splash. Um, he'd be a, a rock skipped across the water. Um, so I, I, I think there's some concern to be had there. And obviously, we talked a little bit about uh, ownership and how you should feel about that. Um, some of the coaches on my, I really hope they're too smart to hire blank list. Um, I mean, I think Jeff Van Gundy terrifies me. 
Um, that's one I'm, I'm not interested in. I just think if you're not actively coaching and I know he does some stuff with the USA team, 18 and unders or whatever they are. Um, I know he does some stuff with team USA and everyone's just speaks his praises, but uh, I'm not interested. His other partner in the booth, Mark Jackson, not interested. Um, his other partner in the booth, Mike Breen, I'm not interested there either. Um, trying to think doc rivers i'm not overly interested in sometimes doc is a good coach uh, i thought this year he did a nice job with the clippers but overall I just can't deal with doc yeah, i just don't want to yeah. deal with doc rivers being the bucks head coach that's yeah. my that's my thought I'm, I'm not into that um and then i guess a sleeper i would put on this list that i think some people would be shocked that i would have on this list would be Ettore messina or Ettore messina however you want to say it i'm terrified of how he made treat players and kind of the way that he is viewed and the legacy that he has, um, that I could see him not getting along with players all that well. And that's something that would concern me. I'm not, and again, that could be totally irrational. Um, but I just am a little bit concerned about that. So those would all be people that I'm not really all about. Um, people. And, that I, and just so in case, I mean, I think most of our listeners probably are so deep into this stuff that, they know this, but Ettore Messina is the uh, assistant coach for the Spurs, who legend. previously uh, was, yes, a legendary coach in Europe, has been with the Spurs for quite some time now, um, and uh, has been tabbed as, you know, the most logical option to be the first uh, European head coach uh, in the NBA. So we'll see there. I'm generally not in love with the idea. Um, and then who I believe is most qualified, I will, my my blanket statement is somebody's assistant. Um, some assistants that I like, Nick Nurse, uh, who is the assistant in Toronto, someone that uh, we've talked about kind of how they totally uh, – redid their offensive system and if you want to read any of those stories about the raptors this year you're going to see nick nurse's name mentioned uh chris finch assistant for the new orleans pelicans i watched them again last night the variety of ways in which they get anthony davis lobs um made me think of Giannis dedicumbo if i'm being totally honest and how rare it is to see him get easy looks. Um, so that kind of excites me. Um, and then Igor Kosakovov, I think I murdered that name. I don't we, have it in front of me. Our, we we um, may need our friend Charlie Saturday to, uh, to, to give us a pronunciation on that since, since Charlie was, was leading the, the, the Igor bandwagon, uh, in our DMS a little while ago. Uh, but assistant for the Utah jazz. Um, he's been around now in the NBA for a while. And uh, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a Quinn Snyder fan, um, have been for a while and he's one of his assistants. And I, I think I don't necessarily have the same concerns about him as a Tori Messina, but maybe that's just because I allowed Charlie to kind of talk me into it. Yeah. And, um, Igor, uh, also in it pretty relevantly was also the coach of the Slovenian national team that kind of shocked the world or shocked Europe, um, by winning, I guess the what it was a Euro last year, right? Yep. Did, was it? Yeah, it was a Euro, not the World Championship. Um, so he he helped that team led by uh, Goran Dragic and uh, Goran was on that team, right? I mean, it was Luka Doncic was. I assume yep. Goran was was on that team as well. So they won. Uh, you know, they were they were great last summer, and he was the head coach of that team. So um, yeah, I would say uh, guys, I'm not interested in. Um, Anybody who works for ABC, uh, especially Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, I mean, I don't think Mark Ugh. Jackson would be 
the, the head coach of Bucks. But that would just be. I mean, if you're a Knicks fan, that has to be kind of depressing to hear Mark Jackson, like you know, be mentioned as now getting an interview with the Knicks. Um, but yeah, Mark Jackson, uh, not of interest. Um, maybe my sneaky, not interested guy, who I think is seems like likely to get interviews for sure, and we've heard as like speculated as like, oh, he could he be on the Bucks list that doesn't exist. Uh, Monty Williams. I'm not really, I don't need Monty Williams as my head coach. Okay. Um, you know, he's, he's been with the Spurs, so that's positive, although not really as a coach. That, he's not a coach right now. Um, you know, did, did a solid job, I guess, in retrospect with New Orleans before Alvin Gentry got there. Um, they had kind of a harder time replicating sort of the modest success they had with uh, Monty Williams um, after Alvin Gentry initially got there. Um, but I don't know. I'm just, I don't, I'm, I'm actually totally I'm, okay with that. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, don't think I love I, anything I think, Monty Williams has done. Yeah. I think we know that, that Yana or that, uh, Monty is not like the next Brad Stevens. Like we know that. Yeah. Right. And not that any of these other guys are the next Brad Stevens. Um, but I just pretty much am like, I don't need, if you've been a head coach before, I pretty much like, don't want you as my head coach. Um, I think I don't mind that rule. Yeah, I think Nurse and Chris Finch are interesting. Um, importantly, both guys, both guys were head coaches of the Rockets um, uh, G League team, yep. which famously um, was they were like basically the the experiment that has sort of like kind of paved the way for the current um, version of the Rockets in that they just shot ungodly amounts of threes and played at very high pace you know, years before sort of the Rockets went full sort of G League, real Grand Valley Vipers, which is uh, the team there um, that the Rockets have as their G League affiliate. Um, So those guys, and and Nurse, you mentioned, kind of came to uh, Toronto, and he has sort of helped um, instill that kind of more unselfish open offense that they've run this year. And so, again, I think if you want someone who's progressive and is going to bring you know that kind of more fresh modern view, certainly of offense, I I know less about defense, obviously Toronto, has been a pretty good defense in recent years as well. I don't know how much credit Nurse deserves mm-hmm. for that, but um, but certainly those guys are interesting. You know, you'd want those guys in the mix. And in general, like to answer the question about like big big name head coach, I don't I don't care. I don't in a lot of ways I don't necessarily even want a big name head coach because I think the bigger the name of the head coach, I think the more likely you're going to have dysfunction with the front yeah. office with ownership. Um, because again, I think you know if you find a good young assistant who's just going to focus on being a good young head coach, um, that's probably going to make a lot of things easier. Um, and a and a big name has a, generally a big ego as well. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just not as interested in that. I um, mean, the, the, like the hierarchy and structure stuff I was talking about before. That's really simple. If it's a first time head coach, like yeah. he doesn't think, oh, I should I should have a big big time say in my personnel. Like no, he'll be like, okay, I got a coach, and that'll I be coach, that. You'd cut pick the players. Um, do you have any? I, I can't remember. I know we talked about it briefly, but do you do you have like where are you kind of at as far as like Jay Wright um, from Villanova versus you know some of these other guys you mentioned? Like is that kind of like in the not you don't not want that, but you don't really want that either. That's kind of where I'm at. Like yeah, I, I, don't, I, I could, don't. I could talk myself into it, I guess, but I'm also n- very much not convinced on on uh, college coaches in general i feel like brad stevens is sort of a generational historical outlier uh, yeah not a guy that you know 
you can expect to find again. Yeah, I'm not totally convinced on Jay Wright. Um, and then on top of it, he's going to bring in all of those things we just mentioned, right? Like the only way that you're getting him is if you pay him quite a bit of money because Villanova pays him quite a bit of money. Um, so I think there's some of those ego and player personnel things um, that might come into all of that. So generally, I'm not all that interested in Jay Wright. Okay. So other questions. Um, this is from Ryan Ryan Unk. I wonder sometimes if a new quote-unquote good coach can make the current team a good defensive team. How confident are you that all they need is a new coach to fix this? With cap situation, this appears to be the team we'll have next year. This is a great question because, I mean, to me, again, like as much as we also, I mean, we'll also fall into the trap sometimes as well. We just talked about coaches who are these great offensive coaches. But, you know, the the big problem with the Bucks, at least, you know, in terms of like, you know, if you're playing whack-a-mole with the Bucks' problems, it's defense, right? I mean, that's the area yeah. where they've been so solidly below average. So, you know, what are, what are the odds of a, a, a good coach coming in and fixing the defensive scheme? Um, and by the way, did you also see um, our friend Matt Moore had a tweet? And it was like, he like asked the question of like, which, co- which coach out there are you sure could fix the Bucks or something yeah. like that? And I kind of was just like... That's an unfair question. It's an unfair question. Like, how I don't feel that way about I, any team in any yeah, coach. I, yeah, I, I like. I guess I would feel confident if like Brad Stevens or like Greg Popovich became the Bucks head coach. But like, if that nobody, if that guy was was a candidate for coaches and we all knew it, like yeah, that guy but, would have but a that's job. The thing. I mean, no team ever like Brad Stevens and Greg Popovich will never change teams. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, yeah. you, you're you're always hiring a guy. You know, fundamentally the Celtics didn't know that when they hired Brad Stevens, what he would do. The jazz didn't know what Quinn Snyder would do when he um, became the head coach. I mean, Quinn Snyder flamed out what at Missouri or wherever that was like years and years ago. I mean, all these guys, like they have a road to get where they are and it doesn't generally involve like being a surefire home run uh, (laughs) NBA head coach the first time they, they get the job. So I thought it was um, unfair. Yeah. So I, I think it's a very good question. Um, and I think it gets us back to, you know, importantly, it focuses on really what the Bucks' problem is. Um, but I also don't think that you, oh, let's go, let's go find a coach who's a defensive specialist and, and play whack-a-mole with, you know, that way, right? I mean, yeah. and and great example, right? The Houston Rockets, a couple years ago, they need they need a new head coach. Well, they're good at offense, they're just bad at defense. They go and hire Mike D'Antoni, and a lot of people said like, well, you you're just exacerbating, you know, like, well, you're just going to play all offense and no defense and, you know, you're not solving your problem. Well, we know how that worked out. They're the best team in the league right now, yep. you know? Um, I'm, so I, I'm, I, I think it's just like, you know, again, you find a good coach and again, if, if you have an, I think an innovative good coach, I think, I think stuff tends to fall into, fall to, and fall into place, you know? And I think, you know, you can figure out defense and look like, Brad Stevens is considered this offensive wizard. His teams have not always been very good offensively. I mean, it's not like, you know, they've been good this year offensively. They haven't always been good defensively, but overall they've generally been good. And again, like you just hope that you're, you have a head coach who can, who can get the most from his team, whether maybe it's a little bit more defensively some year, whether maybe it's a little more offensively some year. Um, But I think it's a valid question. I don't think there's any certainties though. Seventh in offense. 19th in defense, right? That's what, that's what we have the Bucks yeah. for at the end of the season. I don't know if I need to be confident in 
the Bucks getting better defensively with a coaching hire, and I don't know if I need to be confident in the Bucks getting better offensively with a new coaching hire. I just need to feel confident that they have a good coach. And I think if you get an offensive genius and then all of a sudden this becomes the second or third best offense in the league and you still stick around the 15 to 20 range, you're going to win 50 plus games. And if you remain totally hapless on offense, which they are right now, like there's no real plan there. And you have all the talent that got you to the seventh spot offensively. And all of a sudden you hire a defensive coach and become the 10th to the fifth to 10th best defense. You're going to win 50 games. They get, I, I just think, period. It's one of the reasons why I have actually quite a bit, a strange, a very strange bit of confidence um, because of rule number one. Um, even with rule number one, I feel confident in this coaching hire this year because I don't know that you can do worse. Than, than it was this year. Like I, I didn't, I didn't think of much of the offensive scheme, and obviously, I didn't think much of the defensive scheme. So I, I think whether or not he's an offensive guy or a defensive guy, one of those things for sure improves, um, and maybe both of them improve. So I, I, how confident are you uh, that a new coach can fix some of this either side of the ball? Fairly confident, seventy percent sure. Like I, I don't know. It's it's hard to put a percentage on it. Yeah. Um, Brennan Sweeney asks, do you think the series is worrying coaches that there's more than coaching issues and could be roster or the specific player issues? Giving energy in playoff games seems an even issue, seems an, an issue that is more than prunty. Nope. Not worried. Nope. No coaches will be worried about that. Yeah. I mean, One, that's, because that's, every coach has an ego, right? Like if you're yeah. involved in the NBA in any form, you have an ego and you are going to say, you know what? That guy's a shitty coach. That's why he couldn't reach those guys. I can reach them. I'm a good coach. Um, and also, you just saw Giannis rattle off uh, how many point night on 70% shooting. No matter what problems that team has, you see that. And yeah, uh, I'll figure out the rest of it. I have that guy. Yeah. And I mean, uh, certainly, I think if coaches, you know, potential coaches watching the series, I mean, yeah, absolutely. They're going to look at it and say, Jesus what would I do with Jabari Parker next year if he's back, right? Like, I mean, that that's a potential grenade given just the, the politics and, and weirdness of um, that we've seen from him. But is that going to make you want to take the Knicks job instead? Is that going to make you want to take the Suns job instead? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's that's a big leap, right? Because fundamentally, this is still going to be one of the best teams record-wise that has a job opening. Um I'm trying to think. Can you say off the top of your head, can you think of a better team record-wise that is likely to have a head coaching opening this 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 summer? Um, the, I don't think so. I mean, in the uh, East, uh, in the uh, East, uh, like, the only team, yeah, the only playoff team in the East that's going to have a playoff op- or a, a coaching opening is going to be the Bucks. Maybe the Cavs? Yeah, that's true. Cavs, Cavs could, and again, but if LeBron's gone, then the Cavs are are not yeah. an appealing job. Um, Pistons and Hornets, um, Pistons could have an opening. Hornets do have an opening. Um, those are obviously teams that didn't make the playoffs. Um, in terms of playoff teams, I mean, Rockets, Warriors, Blazers. Is Billy Donovan on the Thunder. hot seat? I, I, don't I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. They're paying him a lot of money. I don't. And again, like I don't think you can blame him for Carmelo sucking. Um, <laughs> you know, Gentry, I think saved his job. 
Mike Malone? Um, is he on the hot Mike, seat? I think they said that he's coming back. So, um, so again, and, and Clippers, 42 wins. I don't know. My guess is that uh, Doc does come back. So, so yeah, I mean, I think this is – the Bucks are going to be the team with the best record. You know, we can say – talk about the Bucks underachieving all that, but ultimately they still have – they're going to have the most wins of any team with the playoff with a uh, record opening so yep. or with a coaching opening. So um, so it's, it's important to keep in mind. Now, and again, I think certainly questions that we talked about, front office ownership, all those things – I mean, all those things are going to play into whether uh, whether you want this job. But I think that's also why I kind of like the idea of going for, you know, the up-and-coming guy because, again, um, you know, he's going to worry less about that stuff. I mean, they're going to consider it, right? Like, you know, if you're an in-demand young assistant, like, you're not going to just take any job that comes your way. Um, good good assistants have turned down head coaching jobs. That's happened because you want to pick, pick the right one for your first job. Um, so... Anyway, um, all right, let's see. What do we have left here? Uh, Adam, These all need to be rapid fire. Yeah, Adam Capelli asks, and what you've seen that fans don't see. Do we see anything that fans don't see? I don't know, Adam. You may be flattering us. What do you think a new coach can do with DJ Wilson? I have no idea. Turn him into a ninth or tenth man. I mean, that's at this point, that's probably my the, the height of my expectations at this point. Be generally positive and not an asshole. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, some other ones. Uh, Troy Lungeon. Is that how you pronounce Troy's last name? Yep. You know that. Yeah. Uh, in case you feel like taking a break from basketball, are you guys all in with Roma getting to the Champions League final? Who are they playing? Do you, who's, what's the draw? I have no idea. Um, so I'm a Barcelona fan, so I was you know bummed that Roma came back and, and beat them. Uh, to be honest, Barcelona hasn't really been playing all that well despite never losing in La Liga um, for a million years. But of late, they haven't been that good. I don't know. They had uh, they won the first like four one, but they were actually not very good in it. And to be honest, I as crazy as it was that they lost three out thing uh, and and lost on away goals, um, I wasn't totally shocked. I'd be fine with Roma going to the final. I'm pretty much just rooting against Real Madrid, who um, represent evil uh, in <laughs> in soccer. Um, so I'm rooting against Real Madrid. And uh, I guess maybe uh, Bayern's playing Madrid. I think I, I wouldn't mind seeing Bayern win it. Um, seeing a, a good German side and and Liverpool, I have a lot of friends who are Liverpool fans. So, shout out to Liverpool. Um, Liverpool would be a fun team to see win the the Champions League as well. And by the way, we're talking about soccer. <laughs> <laughs> and that has been locked on soccer for the first yeah. time in a couple months. Let's keep moving. Uh, Eric, uh, in your Twitter avatar, are you playing beer pong? Nope, I'm a, I'm waving to adoring fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not a lie. I'm I'm waving in that picture. Are they adoring though? Um, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if they were that happy to see me. Yeah. Um. Uh. John Daniker asks, uh, "Can we trade down the 17th pick, say for Phillies 26, 38, and late pick?" Seems uh, like a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I honestly don't know the draft well enough to say whether that would make sense um it's possible right sure. that would be kind of a that would be kind of like a football thing like trade down get multiple picks um maybe not the bad thing because let's be honest the bucks getting multiple shots at the apple may be the, the best thing yeah. um but obviously a lot of this times it comes down to a t- the tier right the tiers and if 17 through 26 is fairly flat then obviously maybe you, you don't mind trading back um also, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people ask always about like the Stepien rule in terms of like can the Bucks trade this pick? Um, I mean, they can as soon as the 
draft pick uh, has been made, they can convey it to another team. It's you know it's always sort of like in the future, two picks can't be owed elsewhere in consecutive years. So they could agree to trade the pick and then make the pick for somebody else and then trade it um, after the draft. That that would not be a problem, even though they do have this future pick that's owed to Phoenix. Um, and the other thing too is if you trade uh, this pick for another first round pick it doesn't matter if it's yours or where it is in the first round you just need a first round pick um in at least you know basically you can't you can't not have a first round pick in two straight drafts uh looking forward so they could trade the 17th up they could trade 17th back uh, later into the first round so all that's possible but again i I don't know i don't know where the value is going to be so i'll hold off but certainly there may be some appeal in, in trading down um uh Question also from Brendan Sweeney. Uh, Eric, any chance you have, you lead a Locked On Brewers podcast? I hear Locked On is getting in baseball. I can confirm Locked On is getting into baseball. I've had a number of my friends uh, in – I shouldn't say a number, but I've had a couple of my Brewers uh, following friends uh, in the media ask me about Locked On. Um, so I know some of the names that are in contention to do it. Um they will handle it well and do a much better job than I would. Um, I could never, ever betray all of your guys' trust here on Lockdown Bucks by hosting another Lockdown podcast. Um, I, it would just, I, I wouldn't feel as committed and I wouldn't feel like I was doing a good enough job here on Lockdown Bucks if I was also hosting Lockdown Brewers. So I will tell you, Brendan, that it is in the works and I think the people that they will find to do it, whoever decides ultimately to do it, uh, they'll be a smart person and do a good job. Yeah. And certainly the, that person will have nothing to do with me who knows nothing about baseball. Um, <laughs> you check so. box scores from time to time, Frank, give yourself some credit. I do. I'm a, I'm a box score checker. Um, all right. I think that's, that's it. it for us. We're good. We're done. It's over. We spent a million years doing this podcast. Um, thanks for all the questions. Uh, this will be probably part two that we're concluding but uh Buck just Celtics, so you guys know tonight it's happening yeah it's going down yeah yes we we just spent over two hours reading these questions and talking about it um and once again confirming that other than my wife there's no other person i talk to more in my life than you Eric. <laughs> so um happy to be that yeah. guy for you frank for frank sure, that guy <laughs> for frank man i'm eric name this has been locked on bucks we'll talk to you later